Age to Practice, applying educational reading in the classroom. Join in the conversation using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. From Page to Practice is a podcast focusing on the application of educational reading in the classroom. Each episode features one book or article, my reflections and the thoughts of my guests on its use and impact in the classroom. Some episodes may also feature an introduction from the author. Hi and welcome to episode 15 of From Page to Practice. Today I'm really pleased to be bringing you an episode on a hugely popular book, Education Exposed by Sam Strickland. If you enjoy this episode but haven't yet read the book, I have a copy that's kindly been donated by Nikki Waits who contributed to this episode. It's up for grabs in the first week of the release of this episode. You'll find a pinned tweet on at page practice pod and instructions on how to enter. Unfortunately, if you're listening after the 24th of May 2020, you're too late to enter. As ever, I really appreciate the support of those of you who contribute. Today we hear from teachers at all stages of their journey. But before we hear from them, let's start by hearing from Sam himself. The story behind why I wrote Education Exposed um, is, to me personally, quite quite a funny one in many regards. Uh, I, I went to Research Ed uh, Kent in the autumn of 2018, and I was talking to Mary Myatt for a good hour, uh, possibly longer, in the, the speaker's room uh, before we were both due to go out and speak. And Mary, um, bless her, was was full of uh, praise for many of the tweets that I'd put out uh, up to that point because I was kind of relatively in my infancy in in the Twitterverse, uh, but also was effusive for praise with a number of the the blogs that I'd pieced together, which was really really kind of her. And she was adamant that I needed to write a book uh, to kind of spread the the word, so to speak. Um, and I kind of took it a little bit in jest, if I'm really honest. I didn't think it was uh, that Mary was being you know, that serious. And that's not to discredit Mary whatsoever. Um, and it, lo and behold, that evening, I, you know, I went home after uh, the research at event and I checked my emails. I don't really know why I checked my, my work emails, but, but, but I did. And I found uh, an email from John Catt, uh, the publishers. And they, they within this email, uh, put that they would very much like to, to offer me a book deal. They'd very much like me to, on the basis of Mary's recommendation, to write a book. Um, and it kind of, that's kind of where it, it really um, sort of took from. Um, I didn't really ever intend actually to write a book. Um, but now, you know, kind of almost 20-ish months on, uh, Education Exposed is now out uh, and on the market uh, and and from what I can see, selling quite well. Um, and it's, yeah, it's a real um, personal achievement, personal accomplishment to, to have written the book. In terms of who the book is aimed at, it's aimed at anybody actually that works within a school. The book has been neatly kind of crafted and divided into five kind of key sections. And within each section are two chapters. There's a section on leading, uh, and that's leading at, at every level. There's a section on behaviour, which I think is applicable to anyone and everyone uh, working within a school. There's a section on the curriculum and the role and importance of the curriculum, 
which again I think is uh, applicable to any um, teacher uh, of any level within a school. Um, there's a section on the teacher being the expert, which is absolutely aimed at classroom-based teachers. And then there's a section on workload. But it, the book as a whole is absolutely applicable to anybody um, of any level of seniority within a school. I mean, in terms of what I hope people would take from this book, I hope that when they read it, it resonates with them. Um, I hope there's a sense to with which they might try and challenge in a positive way the, the status quo, um, whereby people might question um, some of the orthodoxies of why we do things in the way that we do them. Um, you know, for example, what, why do we use learning objectives uh, in, a, in most of our lessons? What, what is the, the rationale, the educational reasoning and grounding behind sharing those with pupils, getting the pupils to copy those down? Um, I hope that people take away a sense of uh, routines for learning actually being something that's positive. From a leadership perspective, uh, a big kind of take home I hope that people get from my book is the need to take your time and actually the need to hit pause, to be calm, to be collected and to not have to go at 2,000 miles an hour all the time. Every um, chapter has what I would describe as common misconceptions uh, at the start in a bullet point format. Then the actual chapter is kind of written out, so to speak. And then every chapter concludes with some final thoughts, which kind of summarise the chapter as a whole into um, anywhere between three to five bullet points per chapter. Um, and I hope that, that people reading this uh, find that the format and the, mo the mode of uh, a method of which this book has been written is really digestible. It's punchy, it's fast paced in many regards, it's short, which actually I hope uh, is of benefit to people as well. Um, I mean, I appreciate some books that are really long are great, uh, but there isn't always a necessity to, re to, to write and read a 500 page book where you're kind of trying to chew through uh, all the fat to find out what, it, what actually the point is, which tends to be right near the end of a book. Um, I hope that the book also has just a lot of um, really practical advice, practical guidance based in um, my own expertise and the kind of extensive nature of my own career, uh, but equally is also grounded in research. Uh, whilst I don't directly signpost and reference every single bit of research that underpins and backs up a lot of the, the points that I make, um, I think the research is there uh, as an obvious thing for people to kind of to see as they read, read through this book. Um, and I just hope that people uh, enjoy it. Um, I hope people are able to share it uh, with, with other colleagues. Um, and if you want to hear more about the book, um, I've done a number of podcasts, uh, Naila Natter's being one, um, Darren Leslie's podcast was another, Talking Teachers is another, uh, that you can hear more about um, my book and indeed my experiences and my views, uh, but also um, with Niall Alcock. Uh, I, I undertook a webinar with him and, of course, the Research Ed scene as well. Um, and all things being equal, uh, Research Ed Northampton will be taking place in October um, of 2020. And you'll be able to hear not just all the other speakers, but also myself uh, speaking at that particular event as well. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast.
Thanks, Sam, and thank you for mentioning all those other podcasts. As a group, the Edu Podcast community really do try to support each other, and we're looking for ways to collaborate and spread the word about podcasts for CPD a bit more. So if you've got any ideas, then please do let me know. You can find links to a number of the podcasts Sam mentioned, although not the specific episodes, on a recent post on my website, learninglinguist.co.uk. And the post is titled Edgy Podcasts, Listening for Enjoyment and Informal CPD. Although right now I'm preaching to the converted, so let's get on with it. Today's first listener contribution comes from Alex Gordon. My name is Alex Gordon and I'm a secondary school history teacher in North East London. I'm in my fourth year of teaching and I currently hold a pastoral position within the school as assistant head of year 12 and 13. I have a very keen interest in teaching and learning, professional development and leadership within school, which ultimately led me to Sam Strickland's book, Education Exposed. It was the first educational book that I'd read that delved into whole school leadership and I loved the systematic structure of the book with clear signposted sections of key areas for school improvement and the fact that each chapter started with a list of common misconceptions and then ended with a list of solutions or takeaways. In the book, Sam is a consistent promoter of a knowledge-rich driven approach to the curriculum and learning and this is a belief that I strongly hold also and one that was further reinforced through reading this book. Sam talks about a pupil desire to know stuff and that knowledge begets knowledge, which unlocks pupil curiosity of the subjects and the ability to grow and develop further. And in practice, these views have massively impacted my teaching and overall planning. My mindset when planning the lesson has since become, well, what do I actually want the students to know in this lesson? What is my big question? What is my inquiry? And this is very much a change from a previous approach which I probably adopted towards the start of my teaching career where the questions might have been well what activities should I do with the pupils today and what are my learning objectives and there's a big shift in mindset there as a result of reading this book. Also each of my PowerPoint slides now have a big question for that topic that we link back to throughout our work and we reference that throughout the lessons. Within this kind of approach there's a strong emphasis on myself as a teacher or as Sam defines it in the book, the expert within directive teaching, imparting my subject specialist knowledge on the pupils and then checking for their understanding throughout the lesson. Since reading this book, my lessons have become more teacher-centred and I'd say less student-led pursuits of discovery learning, which Sam pulls apart well in the book. With this in mind, at school, we're starting to embed knowledge organisers into our Key Stage 3 curriculum and we start to train pupils in self and peer quizzing to aid retrieval and memory. And also through creating a whole class feedback sheet template that can be adapted and used across all key stages, which are more tools that Sam promotes heavily in the book. I think also this aided my workload within the school because I've found I have more time now to specifically focus on my own subject knowledge through reading or podcasts, etc. Another key takeaway from the book was the importance of culture and climate especially through the quote, you permit what you promote and you promote what you permit, which I think is a quote that would resonate with a lot of people who read this book. As a classroom practitioner, I found this quote enlightening really and in practice the need to consistently promote high standards in the classroom and to push a hold the line style approach with regards to management, I think is vital in the success of a classroom environment. The analysis in the book of the view that children need rules, they like routines, has also impacted me heavily. And through reading the book and through uh, analysing kind of certain areas, I've spent more time really explicitly training pupils about the structures in my classroom. 
And I think this ensured that my language and my communication, my stands and expectations has been a lot more explicit and it's removed any recognition of, of grey areas, really. However, I think my biggest takeaway from the book was Sam's analysis of differentiation, as he calls it, a suffocating fog of confusion in schools. Sam very much outlines that the phrase differentiation, especially by task and activity, should be banned from schools. And through reading this book and wider research, I found there, are, there is so many misconceptions around the term differentiation. And in practice, my lessons have since become more explicitly pitched towards the top, with scaffolding models then put in place. And I think this contrasts in my previous experience, where maybe a lack of understanding of the term differentiation was quite a drain on my time, and it limited the amount of learning that could actually be achieved in the classroom. And I think since reading the book, my approach to this use of differentiation as this negative, maybe umbrella term in schools is being strengthened. And I found my recent approach to uh, differentiation in the classroom has been very much through explicit teacher instruction, effective questioning strategies and explicit live modelling in front of the class to ensure that everyone can access uh, the content and the curriculum we're covered. And I've found this very much to be a realistic and effective approach differentiation. And I think in turn, it aids people confidence, it aids their motivation, and also means my time at the photocopier in the morning is severely lessened. For me, this book is a must read for all teachers at any point in their uh, current careers. It has really opened my eyes to how to effectively lead a school in the current time. And it offers very practical and realistic approaches to a number of key issues. And on the back of reading this book, I've already transferred much of the content of the book into a PowerPoint document that's ready to be delivered to staff as CPD next year, especially with regards to a move from, as Sam calls it, these teaching fads of the past to a more direct teacher-led approach um, based around learning. In the future, I also aim to purchase and, and use a visualiser effectively in, in school and in my classroom, and that's another tool that Sam promotes in his book and also in his school. Ultimately, I think the biggest strength for this book is its simplicity and its structure, and it's very much back-to-basic style approach. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Thanks, Alex. It was interesting to hear how your reading has directly impacted your classroom practice. Next, we hear from returning contributor from the previous episode, Teachers vs Tech, Sam Franklin. Hi, my name is Sam Franklin and I am an assistant head teacher at a secondary school in Norfolk and I've already recommended Education Exposed to a number of colleagues and lent out my copy full of my annotations and thoughts that I was having whilst I was reading it because I really do think it is one of the best education books that has been written in a very long time and certainly that, that I have read. Um, and there are three main reasons why I, I think that this is the case. And the first one is to do with format, which might sound a bit strange, but it's a very short book, first of all, um, which makes it easy to read, um, could absolutely be read in one sitting and actually is quite difficult to put down once you get going, uh, which I think um, helps. But it's not just about it being shorter. It's short, but it's really, really punchy. So it gives you so much to think about, as well as so many practical examples in a really concise package. And I think that is just really, really valuable and probably really hard to achieve. 
The setup itself in terms of the chapters is also really interesting. So each chapter starts with a set of misconceptions related to um, any of the particular topics which are being addressed at the time. So um, some to do with teaching and learning, some to do with behaviour, curriculum, workload, etc. And what I think is really great about this book is that it outlines this mis- these misconceptions, but it actually does go a really long way to give you practical advice about how to overcome these misconceptions or what to do about these misconceptions and actually showing that they can work. I think I often feel when I read um, edu books that they have great ideas in them but I can't quite see how we put that into reality or sometimes feel that even if I agree completely with what's being said feel like maybe the system itself doesn't support um, implementation of certain ideas and certain processes or might not be accepting of the changes that need to come and I think this just summarizes brilliantly um which misconceptions you know continue to persist, what you can do about it, but really instills confidence um, about the fact that we can do this and we can, as a profession, make the changes that are necessary. And I think that's what makes this book so incredible. So thinking about who might enjoy reading it, I think the teaching and learning stuff is brilliant for anybody working in schools. Um, some really, really clear guidance um, covering topics uh, about knowledge organisers and um, the curriculum, curriculum development etc and that is really appropriate for, for anyone working in schools and the other um, aspects of the book touch upon leadership so anyone with any kind of leadership position I think this would be useful to read but for me personally I found it really useful as someone who has been considering a future in headship and whether that will be right for me at some point and I have felt often that potentially I might not be able to um, fulfill the type of headship that I would want to have and feeling that sometimes some of my ideas might be incongruent with the way the system is set up overall and this book has very much given me the confidence to think actually it can be done and it might not be easy, but here is someone who has done it and um, can give really, really clear advice and guidance on how it can be done, which, again, just feels like a bit of a holy grail for me um, where I'm at in my career personally. The um, the, the, the biggest um, theme that I took following on from that is this idea of um, shattering the ideals around the hero head or the head as an island and also that you don't necessarily need to sell out on some of those really big um, fantastic things that we want to work on like curriculum and um, teaching and learning that it, that 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 can be part of the headship job as well and should be part of the headship job and I think that is really really um, important and again showed me that 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 can be part of the fabric of being a head teacher um, it doesn't have to be something which you lose touch with as you move up the the ladder and um, some bullet points almost of, of things that I found really interesting was this idea of slow burn leadership and and taking your time having the patience to embed things I often feel um, that the education system is set up to see immediate results of things and we all know that it doesn't work like that and yet the system 
perpetuates that cycle. So it was really interesting to to hear how um, Sam dealt with that and, and instilled a culture of that within his school. Um, teaching and learning and the curriculum being key and being the bedrock um, of your job as a head teacher is really interesting as well. I know it seems so obvious, but I just felt slightly disheartened that maybe that that wouldn't be the reality of the job if I do end up um, getting there eventually and this just has given me that confidence to know that it can be and and also um, a real recognition that learning is not linear um, it you know it doesn't it doesn't just increase um, by the same amount each each year each data point etc and that's something that we've really embedded in our in our school and that's an approach that that we we are taking and we're we're keen to embed but at the same time again thinking about feeding into that bigger system of education um, I think it's really um, heartening to to hear someone in that position say that but also to make it clear to lots of other people that that's the case and so maybe you know if we all work together on that um, trail of thought we can have real change in in the education system. And the last theme, um, like I said, was the teaching and learning. And um, this made me think about my own practice um, at a classroom level, as well as, um, you know, the role of, of, of curriculum in, in, in the whole school and as the anchor to everything that we do. And some of the things that really stood out for me was the idea of edutainment, uh, which I've definitely been guilty of in the past, and I think was was really actually actively encouraged as part of my training. Um, and this idea of um, personalities being the reason why people are, are good at, at teaching or have particular success and really unpicking that and going back to the more traditional ideas as it were of, of instruction and um, having a clear sequence of learning and, and all these all these things that are tied up together um, really did make me just reflect on on past practice and and also current practice, thinking, you know, what is the value of this activity? Is there a more efficient way of getting to the point of learning that I need them to be at? Is this activity adding anything by doing it in a slightly different way? And I think just a bit of reflection was really useful there. And I also really liked um, the... Uh, in-depth look at knowledge organisers. I think there's loads of useful um, stuff in that chapter just to check yourself in terms of um, how you're using knowledge organisers and how to make them more effective. And lastly, this idea of big questions rather than objectives, so learning objectives. Um, again, not saying that we shouldn't use learning objectives, but looking at bringing in the idea of, of big questions, which is something that we've thought about and have thought about in my own practice. And I think um, it's something personally I'd just like to expand more and, and, and make the links between the concepts on a, on a greater level, which was which is interesting for me to just think about again. So really from the teaching and learning side of things, um, just understanding and being more aware um, of things which are poor proxies for learning, um, you know, being being busy and the children having fun doesn't necessarily mean that they are learning. And again, I think that's really important that someone in Sam's position is putting these ideas all in one place. Some of them are things which I think, yep, we already do that, we already think like that, and some are slightly more new. And um, wherever you are, and even if you are really confident with all of the things that I've mentioned um, so far, I just think that the way this is packaged together um, is is absolutely brilliant and therefore a must-read for everybody, regardless of um, their position on the leadership journey. You're listening to From Page to Practice. 
Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Thanks, Sam. It was good to hear from someone who's so enthusiastic about the book and has already shared it so widely. Your first point about the format and ease of application of the ideas from the book is something many of us appreciate. Our next contribution comes from Jenny. Hello there, my name's Jenny and I'm the Director of Learning for MFL at a large secondary school in Warsaw, which is just outside Birmingham. And you can also find me tweeting at Miss B German. Been in my role as Head of Department for about a year now. And for me, I'm really conscious about being the best leader that I can be, um, especially when working with NQTs, RQTs, and knowing how important it is that they are in a department where they feel supported and can thrive. So for me, I really wanted to read Sam's book after following him on Twitter for some time, as his tweets are always full of sensible takes on education that reflect and address the issues that teachers can face trying to do their job well. And I find him him as a leader still very much in touch with the teachers that have got full-time tables and that also he's very grounded in the approach that he takes. So I was really excited to read Education Exposed as I knew there'd be a lot of things in there that would really resonate with me. In particular, the section that I really, really enjoyed was the section at the start of the book called Leading, Leading, Leading. This appealed to me the most as a new middle leader. And in particular, Sam talks a lot about on your journey as a leader, it's really important that you remain true to yourself. I think it's really easy to try and adopt uh, a different leadership persona or style because that's the kind of leader that you've been working with before. I think also as well, if you've had quite a formidable or quite a authoritarian leader, it's easy to think that that's the only approach that you can take. Whereas Sam really urges leaders in this book to stay true to themselves and their own type of style. So whatever that is, it's going to work for you because that's who you are. So I think especially with me, that I'm not that kind of top-down authoritarian leader. I'm never going to be like that. That isn't my approach at all, and that isn't me as a person. So I think it kind of validated that there's opportunity here for me to find success as a leader without being that type of leader. Sam also talked about fully understanding yourself before you can lead anyone else. And this really gave, was the nudge that I needed to really turn that camera on myself for a time and just to consider really what my strengths are, who I really am, what do I really believe, what are my core values as a leader, and then who do I want to be, what kind of a leader do I want to be, what do I want for my faculty. So it was really important for me, I think, to take that time to really frame my journey as a leader within those three areas so that I can really get the best out of it. I found it to be really useful now so I feel much more focused on what I'm trying to do with my faculty. Sam also gives a lot of validation about leaders taking their time with things. Our school environments at the moment are really fast-paced, 100 miles an hour and I think especially as a new leader it would be really easy to think okay I've taken on this role I need to start changing this I need to change that straight away 
whereas Sam actually discusses the attributes of a more sort of slow and steady approach where you are taking your time to really think through things and not to feel pressured to knee-jerk a change or a reaction to something because it's what people will expect from you. The big thing with that though, which did actually change my practice, is Sam discussed that if you are waiting to bring something in or to get everything together before you start implementing your plan that it's really important that you share that plan with your team um, and then train them in how your plan is going to work and for me this was a bit of a it might seem obvious but for me I always felt well no I'm in charge I've got to do the I've got to worry about the plan I've got to worry about what's happening I don't need to stress them out about it they're teaching that's I don't need to do that whereas actually the idea of this having open channel of communication where I am sharing this it helps them to understand where we're going what we're working towards and that actually at the moment this isn't inaction this is the plan being formulated and this is where it's going to go so actually that's been really valuable for me that bit of advice in changing how I've dealt with my team and really actually bringing them on board with me so they know that even if we're not doing anything yet it's because this plan is cooking it's working I would really really recommend this book um, to anyone that is currently a middle leader or aspiring middle leader um, as it contains lots and lots of very down-to-earth and sensible advice for anyone that wants to drive this profession forward. I found the book to be extremely accessible. Um, I actually sat down and read it in one sitting uh, during February half term. I expected to read a couple of pages and pick it up again at a late date but I just ploughed the whole way through it in one go because Sam... The style of how he speaks to you as an author is um, you feel like he's in the room with you just chatting you through his beliefs, his ideas around leadership. Um, Also, he makes the book very accessible. So the chapters are very clearly streamlined into key areas of our profession. So you can just dip in and out in particular chapters. I really like as well that he addresses maybe the three key things that worry teachers the most, I guess, which is behaviour, curriculum and workload. So it's nice to see those um, chapters in there. And again, they all contain really sensible, uh, knowledgeable advice. And I think as a middle leader, you know that your staff are your biggest asset and the best way that you can keep them is by supporting them with behaviour, giving them an exciting and engaging curriculum to teach and managing their workload so that they don't feel stressed out and overburdened and don't want to teach anymore. So I think that the advice that Sam gives in those three chapters is obviously really integral and it feeds into a bigger picture about teacher retention that is so important at this time. So a lot of those chapters, those three chapters, although I've not spoken about them today, again, gave me lots of food for thought and lots of things that will help. Hopefully, will I go forward in supporting the profession and supporting teachers that come into the profession to hopefully sticking around and staying within teaching um i really enjoyed the book and i absolutely would recommend any middle leader pick it up and spend a nice couple of hours plowing through i'm sure you'll find many things that you agree with someone you're listening to from page to practice 
Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Thanks, Jenny. It's great to hear from someone at a different stage in their career. Your reflections on leading, leading, leading were interesting to hear, and I'm glad it's helped you to reflect. Next, we'll hear from Alison. My name's Alison Bolton, and I'm a SLT member, PP lead, um, SLE, and fellow of the Chartered College of Teaching. I've been teaching for... 28 plus years and these are my thoughts having read Sam Strickland's Education Exposed. So I enjoyed its readability and the accessibility of ideas. I like the fact that it's not too thick, you can dip into sections um, out of sequence uh, and it's very readable, very accessible. The tone is also really reassuring and supportive of the classroom teacher and offers visions and ideas of how the class teacher is integral to the success of students' future life chances. But but the classroom teacher as well is seen as a trusted and central part of the success of a school. And this is kind of borne out by the reiteration of the teacher as the expert and uh, solid subject knowledge. Um, I think often educational publications and leadership groups can suggest that the onus of improvement is solely placed on the shoulders of the classroom practitioner. Education Exposed puts the classroom practitioner in the driving seat and empowers them to feel or know that they are trusted within the classroom. That was quite refreshing for me to hear that in in a really honest way. It's a genuine warmth and courage behind the ideas to streamline and declutter much educational thinking which adds to this continuing theme of empowerment. It's a well-timed publication from the perspective of the COVID crisis as we begin to refine and reevaluate and reflect upon the purpose of education and the demanding nature of the constant political pressure and change. This book clearly discusses ideas around a set of constants that place teaching and learning back within the classroom with the relationship of both student and teacher at the heart of school business. The constant chatter of other educational ideas, um, mostly designed to keep students busy, are discussed as distractions to the central um, cornerstone um, within the classroom, and that's this kind of solid idea of teacher knowledge. Strickland himself comes over as a leader with integrity and warmth, and it's reassuring and inspiring to know that this leader genuinely understands the core business of the classroom and what the reality of this is. I'm genuinely reassured to know that this head teacher is the back of, the back of all of his staff. Much of what's outlined in the book in terms of an overarching teaching and learning strategy is empowering for other school leaders, and there I go using that word again. And we'll be, we'll be taking ideas forward at our school from this. And I think what it's given me the confidence to do is look at this idea of decluttering and stripping out um, things that we may be doing uh, within our current teaching and learning strategy. One of which that's just resonating with me at the minute is this idea of collaboration. Now, we've all gone online and are collaborating with our... Uh, subject teams or within our leadership groups and it's proved to be a real survival strategy a driver of invention 
And if I go back to reflecting and considering how we might move forward after this crisis, I think it's important in terms of developing our process and practice to think about how we can incorporate that and move things forward. So it's been a real pleasure to read for me and connect with Strickland. Um, And his book's been valuable to my own process and practice. And it's been quite a formative read. Um, I've got pending discussions with uh, one of our deputy heads to look at uh, where we start to declutter what we do, um, whole school on teaching and learning, and how, particularly for my my spe- uh, sort of specialism, how the, that might uh, or what that might look like for PP students moving forward. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. I think it's particularly interesting how Alison reflects on applying this book in our current circumstances. This is why I threw out the set podcast schedule until things are a little more normal. I'm also pleased to hear how the book has given you confidence to consider your future actions. As a fellow of the Charter College of Teaching, Alison will have had a copy of Impact delivered, which is our next episode. The theme of the issue was leadership so hopefully there's been even more useful content for reflection there next we're going to hear from richard willett hi my name is richard willett i'm a secondary science teacher and have been for the last 15 years to be honest i struggle with cpd i sit there thinking what am i doing here i should be marking i should be planning um what a waste of my time or i sit there going well what a lovely idea that is can't implement that in science how am i meant to get them to look at a particle diagram thinking how what was it like to be before this diagram what would be what was it like to be after i just can't do that um but i'm lucky that i work in a school that is uh research led and a group of us went to research ed over in northampton um and the principal of the school the school hosting the the day was uh sam strickland and I went to one of his sessions and he was talking about um, moving the school forward and creating an environment um, which really... And he wasn't saying anything rocket science. There was no kind of new fantastic, oh, my God, got to go and try this. But it all made sense and I kind of brought into that. So I started following uh, Strickland on... Uh, Twitter and I saw that he had a book come out and I, it was a straight away pre-order it, get it done. A month or so passed and it turned up on my door. And I've got it, I came in, got changed and literally read it cover to cover in the evening and thought, yeah, that's a really nice book. And I sat in my lesson um, or studied my lesson more to the point and I looked around and the class were doing their practical and I looked around and I had 14 different lab rules and 10 different class rules. And when I started looking at them and at the end of the lesson, I was looking at them and I was like, well, actually, and they, they do. Sam was completely right. And in the back of my head, I had Sam's chapter two on behaviour and it's completely right. The rules broke down into into three different ones. And actually, I've taken his three different um, rules, and I won't spoil them for you, but I took his three different rules, and I now use them in my lesson. And it has made a big difference. The low-level disruption that, that can take place 
it's curtailed really quickly by saying, oh, we're not, we're not following rule two or we're not following rule one. Let's get back onto it. I'll come over and help you. And it literally, the students have just respected that there's three simple rules. You follow them, we get the work done and it, jobs are good. <laughs> And it really has moved the conversations away to, away from behaviour and onto barriers for learning. So students are making more progress in my room, which I think is really good. The other section um, that I think is lends lends itself particularly to classroom teachers is the workload. Now, as I said, I've been teaching for fifteen years, and when I started teaching, it was very much. You start the lesson with your starter. Then you do your waltz and your wilfs. And actually, one of my previous schools used to get us to write all three waltz down. And then through the lesson, students then had to tick if they'd achieved them. I mean, I used to think what I it was you're marking your books and you could see that the student had ticked the first one. And it's like, well, did they not make any progress any like, after the first 20 minutes in the lesson? And it was quite soul destroying, to be honest. And it seemed a waste of time, and it's something that Sam talks about in terms of waste of time. And um, he's a historian, and uh, the big picture's been around, and I think every historian I know kind of punts it around as being a good thing to do. And and I've always thought, yeah, how does it work when I want them to do a practical, and I want them to learn how to do the practical side as well as learn the science behind it? But actually, it's probably, and it has came down to the wording of the question. And it now I now have students that come and say, "So I've done the, I've done you the past paper questions. Do I answer the big question?" And actually, it kind of lends itself to an extension, so that it then gives that bit. It also gives a meaning for the lesson, and I, and I took that away from the book. Um, but I didn't really look at the book again, if I'm being honest until I had a conversation with a colleague about the book because it sat on my on my shelf for CPD uh, nice and proud look at me I'm doing CPD and um, she said oh this isn't this like for senior leadership I said well actually it is but it isn't it breaks down into sections each section has a couple of chapters each chapter starts with misconceptions and I've (laughs) quite sad to admit that actually there's a couple of misconceptions in there that I kind of thought were right and I've read through and what I particularly like about this is is that Sam gives takeaways at the end of each chapter as like a summary like a plenary and it, I haven't seen it before if I'm honest in in education books but it makes perfect sense we do a plenary at the end of the lesson so that we can then consolidate and so that we can see where we need to go and that's what is done here is by giving us takeaways it makes you think more about the chapter and I think that's really really strong um and I found that really enjoyable are those takeaways what I got out of the chapter and actually as I dip back into it they do um but the lady um my colleague was right that this book is a bit for everyone um as an aspiring head of department there's chapters in here that that go over workload uh, in terms of um how to manage your team's workload as well as building a team so for example i know that when i am head of department that i need to look for complementary characters 
um, and not just mini clones of me. Um, so that's re it's really good, but it also gives the whole score in terms of for senior leadership about what why is it really important to have a real strong thing and if it works really well in one subject why would you not spread that across the, the other subjects because if it works really well in one then and it's successful and it's making a difference then you want to spread that across the other subjects um so it kind of it from a from a main scale teacher um it it allows you to understand why oh look we're having another thing that english department have used or, or we're having something else that the history department has used um as the reason why and in terms of sharing good practice and bringing everyone's game up so um the book really is genuinely a bit for everyone and dipping into it is definitely something that i would highly recommend so um Great, that's my review. Thank you. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. I particularly appreciated Richard's honest reflections about CPD and what drove him to read this book. Next, we'll hear from Angela Murphy. My name's Angela Murphy and I am currently... An assistant principal. I'm the director of teaching and learning at Lord Grey Academy in Milton Keynes. Um, I've been a teacher for 12 years. I'm in my 13th year of teaching now and I have been a member of the leadership team for about the past five years and director of teaching and learning for um, just over two years. Um, I picked up Sam's um, book probably um, partly to do with the fact that I don't live too far away from Dustin, where he is um, a principal. And I'd actually visited the school um, for the research ed event that took place last year. So I'd, I'd heard Sam speak. I'd visited his school. Um, I'd seen some of his colleagues speak. Um, I know one or two of them already myself. So it was really interesting to see what he had to say about school leadership. Um, what I found with the book that I suppose that the main thing that I found was the fact that it is so incredibly clear and direct in terms of um, the message he's trying to get across or the messages he's trying to get across. Um, it did, didn't take me long to read. Um, it's organised into four different sections. Um, first on leadership. Um, secondly, behaviour. Um, thirdly, the importance of the curriculum. And then lastly, um, as uh, information pertaining to workload matters um, for staff. Now, it would be um, <clears throat> possible to dip into any of those sections and just read the ones that you felt were most important to you. But actually, the book is, is really quite concise and very, very readable. And if I think I read it through very very quickly in a couple of hours um so by no means is it a chore to read this book it's actually very digestible and um very readable i would say that it's probably most suitable for um members of the leadership team in schools um it it's almost written from the premise of being a, a guide for somebody who is about to take on the role of principal. 
um, either in a new school or in their existing school. Um, and whilst that message was um, was carried as a thread through sections of the book, um, actually it's got some really, really key leadership messages in there for any of us, whether we are senior leaders, middle leaders, whether we have any plans to ever become a principal or not. It, it's still got some hugely important messages in there. Um, the section that I suppose I gained the most from was the section on um, the curriculum. And in fact, it's um, actually section three is, is called The Curriculum is God. Um, as Director of Teaching and Learning, clearly um, the curriculum is a huge driver for, for my role. And um, it was really interesting to see um, Sam's views about the curriculum um, really cleared, clearly laid out in this section. Um, Sam has obviously worked quite closely with Christine Council and I'd heard her speak at Dustin and she was absolutely inspiring when it came to talking about the curriculum. Um, and so I think a lot of his thinking is uh, along the same lines. Um, what I thought was um, really quite interesting was the idea of the curriculum as a progression model. Uh, if you've been in education for, you know, even a few years, you'll have experienced the idea that um, teaching is driven by data, 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 data. And it's really refreshing to see a move away from that. Um, I think the idea of the curriculum as a progression model and the idea that, you know, we, we teach students what we want them to know, the, the, the subject knowledge, which is obviously hugely important. We teach them the, the subject knowledge. We use different forms of assessment later to figure out what it is they have actually retained, what they know, and then identify where the gaps are, who has the gaps, and how we go about plugging those gaps. And, and that surely has got to be a better way of driving school improvement, driving progress, and importantly, driving um, student um, knowledge and outcomes and exam success, that has got to be much more powerful than being driven by data. So why is your data, you know, wh wh why have you got these gaps in your progress of these students? Why is this flight path not being strictly adhered to by this student here. Um, looking at what the student has been taught, teachers and leaders really understanding where the gaps in their knowledge are and having really clear strategies on how those gaps are going to be filled is, is far more effective, I think, than the idea of data as the progression model or the idea of flight paths. And Sam explains that really well in this book. And that's, I suppose, my key takeaway is when I do return to work, hopefully, um, after all of this um, lockdown is over and we are um, looking at how we're going to be continuing to make improvements to teaching and learning as we move into the next year and the years that follow, that understanding and, and the staff in my, in my school clearly understanding the curriculum as the progression model and using that as a way to drive progress rather than the overwhelming focus on on data that you know as school leaders we've we've been driven to have for many years i think it would be perhaps fair to say that if 
Sam Strickland is known for anything, one of the things that he is known for is for the changes that have been made at Duston as a result of resetting and reinvigorating the school culture. And a huge part of that is um, the behaviour of students. And Sam um, has quite a long section on behaviour. Some of the longest chapters are on behaviour. And um, they're really, really clear in terms of giving actual practical guidance for um, school leaders and even for for classroom teachers um, about not only why behaviour is important, you know, the impact of the Matthew effect, the fact that students um, in a school where behaviour is strong, they have that accumulated advantage of being able to make better and better progress all of the time and have a better and better life at school and a more enjoyable time at school. Um, And therefore that, um, I I suppose, perpetuating um, better behaviour still. And that's really clearly coming through in this book. Um, But there are really practical strategies there in terms of all of the things you might want to consider if you were to um, implement a new behaviour strategy or if you were to revamp an an existing strategy. Um, And I would really strongly recommend that as a section for for staff. Another really um, important section is for leaders in particular is the section on workload. Um, And again, that's another really sensible um, section of the book. And covers um, ways in which leaders can protect staff from excessive workload um, and the practical measures that leaders can take to um, remove some of the activities that are um, inherent in schools that perhaps don't create any particular value that could be replaced with something more meaningful that is a better use of um, the time of the people working there. And what's also um, covered quite well is um, training and CPD and the importance of it to um, a school's success. Um, I think, you know, taking some of the ideas forward um, from there, um, it's thinking about um, how we can upskill teachers all of the time. Um, The understanding that, you know, professional development really requires a huge investment in time and money um, and that you can put your faith in in faculties and in, in subject areas to lead some of their own training and CPD themselves um, and particularly with the huge emphasis that we have on both the knowledge of students but also the knowledge, the subject knowledge of staff that and that that has um, a much greater um, importance for us than perhaps it has done in the past. And that's something that I, obviously I will um, think about how I can embed that further into um, our CPD programme in years to come. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Thank you, Angela. It's really helpful to hear from someone that's visited Sam's school and also knows some colleagues there. Next, we have Sarah Butler. Hello, my name is Sarah Butler and I am an Associate Assistant Head Teacher 
at John Henry Newman Roman Catholic College in Oldham, Greater Manchester. I bought Sam's book, Education Exposed, Leading a School in a Time of Uncertainty, over Easter. And I also, at the same time, watched him doing a webinar on his book, We Are Better webinar, although I've actually been following on Twitter for a while now. So in my role as curriculum, I have been tasked with implementing knowledge organisers in school and his ideas and practical help about their use and how to roll it out have been valuable to me in my task. As a school, we haven't really formulated a policy for their use. Um, same as other schools, we've had many other strategies put in place. We follow Ton Sherrington and Rosenshine's principles, retrieval practice, memory, questioning. And knowledge organisers has always been at that bottom of the list. And so when I read Education Exposed, only a small section really about knowledge organisers, but they really got me thinking as to how best to get these implemented and make them real. Sam calls them not the silver bullet. And I think in education, we're always trying to find that magic bullet to help us to see that maybe this time we're going to get it right. So I have organised this week a CPD with my subject leaders where I went through different styles of knowledge organisers, how they were to be used, how people were using them if they were. And to be honest, I found that the quality of what's been produced at my school is absolutely outstanding. We're just at different stages. And my job this year is to get all of that together to make sure that from September, regardless of what happens, whether we're back fully in September, that the half term, the first half term, we've got knowledge organisers for all of our topics in all of our subjects for every single year group just to see how they go. Now, Sam's further along the line. His school's brilliantly using them in lessons and for homework. We're not there. I have departments who are way above the curve, and therefore I'll be using them to quality assure, to see what can be best done with other departments. So let's get to the book then, Education Exposed. There are loads of things in there, and I said on Twitter that I think everybody who would like to be in leadership, anybody in SLT, should read this book simply from cover to cover because A, it's a very easy read, and B, you find yourself nodding all the time. You think, yep, I do that, yep, I do that. Um, one of the sections that I thought was really interesting was the stuff on behaviour. In fact, Sam decided that the only thing he was going to do when he took over his school was sort the behaviour first and then everything else would come afterwards. Well, I'm not in that position. I've just come in in September to sort out curriculum. So therefore, knowledge organisers is what I'm doing. So the one, the chapter that I found most important really was chapter five and six. So chapter five is the importance of knowledge and chapter six was this progression model in the curriculum. We all do it. We sit there with our medium-term plan, schemes of work, whatever you want to call them, and we sit there and we say, what do they need to know by the end of this lesson? What do they need to know by the end of this set of lessons? What do they need to know before they leave us at the end of Key Stage 3 going into Key Stage 4? And also having an ambitious curriculum. The one thing I've always said 
Well, I've handed stuff to children in the past. I've said, this is your little Bible. This is the knowledge that you need to know. Well, funny enough, he calls his knowledge organizers the Bible guide. Those things that make children go, you know what? I'm not going to lose this. I'm going to stick it in my book and this is my need to know. So what we're going to do over the next few weeks and months whether we're in lockdown or back in school, whatever happens, is that we will never get this time again to work on knowledge organisers. So for myself, I'm working on a curriculum that's completely different for geography. And when I came to the school, the curriculum for geography didn't fulfil the national curriculum. And therefore, there were lots of things that we were doing in the school that didn't fulfill national curriculum parameters. So straight away we had to sit down as a team and we decided that we've never had this time again to rip it all up and start again. So for me, I've had a decision to start with year seven. Um, we live in Oldham. It's got a great history. It's right in the hills of uh, northeast Manchester, quite impoverished. And a lot of children simply don't understand place. So I'm going to be starting in very much Sam's way, which is sorting your curriculum out for your own cohort. We're going to start with Oldham, where they live, and then branch out from there. And therefore their geography from then on will match what most children do in other schools, but we'll always come back to Oldham. If we're going to have a look at rivers, we'll look at Oldham. We live in the hills, so when we're looking at contours and things like that, we will be looking at Oldham. And therefore... That's a change that I wanted to make with this particular curriculum at school. So Education Exposed, great book. Um, I hope you've got time to write another one. I do follow him closely on Twitter. Um, and I would highly recommend this book. Sometimes when you get them and you think, oh, they're really thick, this one isn't. Um, I read this in an afternoon and I'm still flicking back to it to figure out is there anything more, any more little nuggets that I could learn from it. So I hope that was useful. If anyone has any questions, feel free to drop me a line on Twitter. Um, I'd be very happy to answer any. Thank you very much. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Thank you, Sarah. It's been interesting to hear about the CPD you've done and how you think this book has moved you on. Our final contribution today comes from Nikki Waite. Hi, my name's Nikki Waite. I'm a secondary school English teacher from South Yorkshire and a senior leader with responsibility for literacy and pedagogy whole school. Um, I'm really thrilled to be asked to contribute to the From Page to Practice podcast today in reviewing Sam Strickland's Education Exposed. This is the first time I've done anything like this, so please bear with me, I'm finding it very odd. Um, so like many during these odd times, I've been participating in quite a bit of lockdown CPD where I can get the chance. Um, you know, things like webinars and connect-ups, um, so through Research Ed or the Teacher Development Trust, all of which are advertised on Twitter. But mainly I've been doing quite a bit of reading when I get the chance, which my bank balance isn't currently thanking me for. However, Sam's book um, has been one of the most refreshing that I've read so far. It's quite short, I read it in a day, but refreshing in the sense that it cuts through a lot of the pedagogical nonsense that we've become accustomed to as a profession. What I mean by that and what I think Sam primarily means by that is there's been a real emphasis I know there was for me during my training and through my early career on the how so 
in terms of my delivery? How was I going to get students engaged with this topic? How was I going to deliver this aspect of Romeo and Juliet, for instance? How would I get them engaged and really thinking about the text? Instead of the what. Um, so what does English look like in this year, year seven, year eight, etc. What do I want students to know by the end of the lesson, by the end of the week, the end of the half term or the key stage or even their journey with us um, at the school? And this book really kind of works with that concept and it flips it. It takes away from the how and places the emphasis on the what, what we are delivering and the value of what we are delivering. Um, that's in line with a lot of current thinking and a lot of current reading about the curriculum and about how we should be embedding a knowledge-rich curriculum and how, you know, knowledge begets knowledge and knowledge is power. So anything that you read around the, the subject or topic of curriculum will really align with Sam's thinking in his book, Education Exposed. So before reading the book, I took part in a We Are In Beta webinar with Niall Alcock and Sam Strickland himself. So for those of you who don't know, we Are In Beta is a platform that hosts webinars or Q&A. It has articles on there, all things pedagogy, leadership, teaching. Um, you can connect with other teachers as well, which is quite nice. For instance, I had a head teacher check an application for me quite recently on there. It's, it's a really nice um, forum to be part of. The webinar with Sam is still available to watch on there as well. And it's kind of an introduction to the ideas in his book, Education Exposed. Um, he talks about how when he arrived at his new school as principal, he found just from walking around that it was very fad and gimmick driven. Um, it was heavily skills driven and he uses the phrase, there was lots of white noise learning objectives. So Sam talks about in his book as well, how he wanted to get rid of that, how he wanted to focus less on the how and more on the what. So he, in the webinar, he gives clear starting points on how to embed a knowledge-rich curriculum. Um, he talks about topics such as teacher as expert, big questions, knowledge organisers and workbooks. Um, and he talks about the rationale behind each one of these things so that they don't just become new fads or new gimmicks. Um, after watching the and taking part in the webinar, I did blog about Sam's um, session at uh, my WordPress website, which is MrsWaite872. Um, just because I, I felt like he gave a really kind of clear and practical, uh, succinct way of where to start so a lot of people are talking about this idea of the knowledge-rich curriculum. It's part of the new um, education inspection framework. It's a really hot topic at the minute. But Sam also acknowledges that a lot of us are curriculum novices. This idea is new to us. Um, so the webinar really acted as a really nice kind of introduction to his book, which then made me purchase it and obviously read it. Um, so Sam has chapters on leadership, behaviour, curriculum, teacher as expert and workload. And as I've already mentioned, it's a really succinct, transparent, unequivocal in his views um, on education and what matters. It's a great guide, not only for a teacher, you know, who's quite a novice in the classroom, to, to a teacher who's an expert, all the way up to, you know, a leader. Um, it's great. 
Okay, so Sam begins by addressing some of the deep-seated and precarious even issues in education. Issues such as the elongated Key Stage 4, the wasted years at Key Stage 3, the idea that learning can be and should be measured maybe every 15 minutes in as many mini plenaries as you can possibly cram into one lesson. The idea that data and student progress should be linear and plotted very neatly on a flight path or roadmap or learning journey or whatever it is that um, a school might use to, to present this data and this information on students. Um, my favourite of the issues that he discusses is one that I know I have been advised or expected to do in my lessons in the past. And this is the idea that lessons should be skills-driven and set out against different coloured, multicoloured, traffic-lighted learning objectives, which <laughs> sounds ridiculous, but I know I've been expected to do that. I know I have, because I was told that that is how you measure students' learning and progress in a lesson. Sam acknowledges that all of these things have placed um, unnecessary workload and pressure on, on teachers and unfortunately have probably driven many from the profession. So he challenges some of these norms and suggests um, alternatives. My favourite chapters are the ones on curriculum and teacher as expert so he, for instance, talks about how we might use big questions instead of learning objectives, um, because learning objectives are white no noise. A lot of students, you know, even if you spend time addressing them and discussing them and talking about them, probably really don't understand them, don't see the relevance to the lesson, can't transfer that outside of the door. Um, so, you know, what what really is the point of them is something that he explores. He's an advocate for replacing them with big questions, um, which a lot of people are talking about at the minute. So he talks about how you might use a big question to replace differentiation, which he would like to see the word banned, which I completely agree with. He um, talks about how big questions might span a lesson or might span more than that. They might span um, a topic or a few lessons, or you might have a cluster of big questions within a topic um, to really get students to address the key concepts, the idea of the powerful knowledge that sits behind that topic. Another thing that he is an advocate for is the idea of subject co-planning over generic CPD. Um, so he talks about the idea of subject communities and how if we are really to be the experts at what we are teaching and delivering, then it's really important that we together as um, a subject, as a department, as a faculty, really get to the depths of, of the topics and the misconceptions that we're going to deliver, really research and study before we teach and think about what the misconceptions might be before we deliver. I thought that was a really, really good idea. Very, very strong idea in terms of this shift towards a knowledge-rich curriculum. And if we are to be the teachers as experts, then we need to have that time to really work on our field. Um, so yeah, it's a great book. I hope I've done it, um, not done it a disservice there um, with my uh, roundup, if you like, of its contents. Um, there's lots of things that I agree with. I just hope that, you know, we, many of us work in environments and cultures where we, it's okay to challenge some of these things. As Sam states, a lot of these things are still the norm within schools. 
um, and hopefully his suggestions, you know, if enough of us read this book, if enough of us think this way, um, and his message will will get out there and some of these things will, will be eradicated. Uh, thank you very much. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. As I mentioned earlier, Nikki has kindly offered to give away a spare copy of Education Exposed. You can find out how to get a hold of this by going to the pinned tweet on at PagePracticePod on Twitter. The next episode, as previously mentioned, will be an Impact Journal special. So if you've got any reflections to share, please get in touch. The details will be recapped at the very end of the podcast. Finally, a quick reminder. Hi, I'm Alex Fairlam and along with Rosanna Hume, I run Edu Book Club at Edu Book Club One on Twitter. This is a book club for educators to discuss different edu books. We're trying to encourage people to spend time reading and reflecting and discussing ideas which come about in these different edgy books. Each month what we do is we select a book that we're all going to read and then we set out a time when we're going to talk together on Twitter about the different themes and ideas which come from it. We also have a WhatsApp group which you can join and we have a Google Drive where you can also submit resources. The intention is that people will collaborate further by sharing those resources and using the ideas to apply them to different contexts. We really want to connect people together and connect with the author as well so that they can share their ideas and thoughts about the questions that we put to them. We think it's going to be a really good mechanism for well-being and delivering what we hope will be a collaborative community working together. If you're interested in joining us, we're at Edgy Book Club One and the book that we're currently uh, reading at the moment is Retrieval Practice by Kate Jones and we'll be discussing Retrieval Practice on the 21st of the 5th 20 at 6pm and Kate will be joining us. Any questions that you have about the book, if you submit them to um, me, I'm at lambhearttea Tea via DM. And then what we can do is the top five questions will then tweet and discuss those as a community. The episode after the Impact Special will be covering that same book. So please join in and get in touch to share your reflections. Until next time, hope you're all staying safe. Bye. You've been listening to From Page to Practice. Don't forget to join in the conversation using hashtag page practice podcast. Alternatively, to suggest a book or article or volunteer to contribute to an episode, visit learninglinguist.co.uk forward slash page practice podcast. Thanks go to Kevin McLeod of Incomtech.com for use of the tracks Cheery Monday and Fuzzball Parade, which are licensed under Creative Commons.